Lord, we come before you and we ask for a fresh anointing of your spirit that you would guide us in your word. Uh, Lord, that we would understand what you're trying to get across to us, God, uh, with so many moving parts, so many different characters. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would pull from the text what you desire us to. Uh, God, that you would speak to us powerfully. Uh, Lord, that we'd walk away uh, here feeling refreshed, feeling restored, uh, recognizing that, that the living God is, is on our side and, and wants to give us words of encouragement to uh, help us along this path, this life that you've called us to, Lord. So uh, bless this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, so we've been in Second Samuel, uh, and just recently uh, we see David enter back into Jerusalem to reclaim the throne, to reclaim the th- uh, to to reclaim the crown uh, as well. But we see as David comes back to Jerusalem, all is not well in Jerusalem. Right there is division among the nation, and we saw at the very end of Second Samuel chapter nineteen there was this dispute this argument between Israel and Judah, uh, the northern tribes of Israel, the ten tribes. Got something in my throat. And then Judah and Benjamin, uh, the southern tribes. I ate one of those little like protein bars in the back. Now it's stuck in my throat. Crying up here. I'm not emotional. Not right now anyways. Um, So we see this dispute that was going on. Uh, Israel... um, felt left out of the celebration. Uh, so we see in this chapter, there's going to be a man by the name of Sheba who's going to use this conflict to his, ava- to his advantage to start or at least attempt to start another revolution. So in response to this, David is once again uh, going to send out his mighty men on a mission to solve a problem. Okay, the title of this teaching is A Mission from the King. A mission from the king. See, Jesus, he has sent us out on a mission. Whether we realize it or not, our lives are really one big mission. And the mission, the purpose of our lives, generally speaking, is what? To fulfill the great commission. To preach the word and to make disciples. We're going to look specifically as David sends out his men on this mission and we'll pull some practical uh, application and and principles uh, to help us understand the mission that God has sent us on and how we're to respond to the mission that the king has given each and every one of us. So let's look at it. It's 2 Samuel chapter 20 verse 1. And there happened to be there a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bitri, and a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and said, We have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse, every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bitri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem remained loyal to their king. Uh, we can look back and understand a little bit as to why this revolution was attempted by Sheba. If you remember last week, I mentioned it in the intro. 
But we see when David came back here in Second Kings, or sorry, Second Samuel chapter 19, there was this dispute. Uh, look at verse 41 of Second Samuel chapter 19. Just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king his household and all David's men? Uh, with him across the Jordan. So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel. Because the king is a close relative to ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king. Therefore we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Where we Were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. So this was the conflict that Sheba was taking advantage of to start this revolution so that he could be the next king. He was claiming that David wasn't actually the rightful king. We see that Sheba is from the tribe of Benjamin. Who else was from the tribe of Benjamin? King Saul. Okay, we don't know specifically if he's a son or uh, not. A, he's not a son, uh, but a descendant of King Saul. But he believes for some reason uh, that the king should be out of Benjamin. So he pleads his case. This shouldn't surprise us at this point, right? As we've been going through the life of David, we see time and time again, there's what? Someone who rebels against his authority. If it's not Ishbosheth, um, uh, Saul's illegitimate son, uh, then it's Absalom. If it's not Absalom, it's Sheba. And this will continue on for the rest of David's days. So we see this man, he rebels against David, but it's not just Sheba. Look what it says in verse 2. So every man of Israel deserted David. See, this man brought other people with him in this rebellion. David was attempting to fulfill a mission. What was that mission? To unite the nation. And in the midst of him attempting to do everything he can to unite the nation, what happens? Opposition. This is the first Point, there will always be opposition against the mission. There will always be opposition against the mission. David was on a mission. He wanted to bring unity amongst the nation. There was division after the revolt of Absalom. And there was division when he came back and he did his best to try to make things right, right? He, he forgave the people that were literally out to kill him. He made Amasa the commander of the army. Uh, he made things right with the elders of Judah who played a part in the revolt of Absalom. He did all these different things to unify the nation. And here comes another rebel coming against the authority that was granted to God's king. See, there will always be those who don't want to follow the rightful king. I'm not just speaking of King David. Of course, I'm speaking of King Jesus. There will always be those who rebel against King Jesus and not just rebel against King Jesus, try to lead other people astray, whether it's a philosopher or a politician or a king or a ministry leader. 
Across the board, we can see throughout history that there's constantly people that are rejecting the authority of the rightful king and they're bringing others to follow them in that rebellion. We see it with Sheba. Later on, we'd see it with Nero. See it with Frederick Nietzsche, the famous philosopher who coined the phrase, God is dead. People took that and ran with it, right? Saw it with Hitler. And we'll see this continue to play out up until the time of the Antichrist. See, John makes this clear in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. In 1 John 2, 18, he says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists, little a, have come, by which we know that it is the last hour, Okay. So the big A Antichrist is going to follow a little A Antichrist. And he says, even during this time period, you have these little A Antichrist, these people that are, uh, whether it's a false teacher or a king or whatever the case may be, uh, they're coming against the authority of the rightful king. They're little A Antichrists. This will continue to happen throughout History, past, present, and future. There will always be people who rebel against the king until Jesus literally, not just when he comes back, even when Jesus comes back and establishes the millennial kingdom, we see in Zechariah chapter 14 and uh, Revelation chapter 20, there's still going to be people that rebel against them. Once Satan's released, it won't be until he uh, recreates the world when he brings forth the new heaven and the new earth. Then rebellion will finally cease. But until then, there are going to be these rebels that challenge God's authority, that attempt to prevent him from fulfilling his mission. But we also see this isn't just antichrist or people In the kingdom of Israel, rebelling against David, we see there are those who don't want to submit to the authority of God. There are those even in the church that don't want to submit to the authority of God. Whether it's God's authority directly or the authority that God put in place. Because the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 13 verse 1 uh, that, that all authority is placed by God. Uh, God's the one that puts specific people in specific places of authority. And it's our responsibility to submit to authority. We all have a certain uh, a person that's an authority figure over us and we're called to submit to that authority. It doesn't matter if we like that authority. It doesn't matter if we disagree with that authority. We can't use the excuse that, hey, hey, I don't like the direction or I don't agree with the direction that they've given me. So so I'm not going to submit to that authority. See, submission is obedience even when we disagree. Submission is obedience even when we disagree. We, we can't use disagreement as a way out To be disobedient. That's not what the Bible teaches. Now the only way out. To commit disobedience against authority. Is what? Is if that authority asks you to sin. That is biblically the only way. That we can reject authority. 
We see that through the Old Testament with uh, Daniel. Uh, we see it with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego when they were uh, called to, to, to worship the golden statue. They said, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're not worshiping idols. That's against God's law. We, we see it in Acts chapter 4 uh, with Peter and John when they were asked not to preach the name of Jesus anymore. They said, hey, hey, yeah, you're our authority, but, but we can't do that. That's committing a sin. Other than that, we're called to submit to authority. Even when we don't agree with that authority. See, for unity to happen in a nation, for unity to happen in a church, there has to be a submission to authority regardless of one's opinion. Regardless of our opinion. Everybody's got their opinion, but there's so much division that happens, yes, in our nation and also in churches across the board because everybody thinks that their opinion is above the governing authority. They think that their opinion matters more than the direction that was given to them from the person that God placed in their life as the authority. And this is why one of the reasons why we have so much division In a nation, like we see here in Israel, in churches, in jobs, in families, it happens across the board. See, David was on a mission to unify the nation. But for the nation to be unified, they had to submit to his authority. Now here comes Sheba, rebelling against his authority, dividing the nation once again. See, Jesus, he's on a mission too. And he's on a mission among many things to unify his people. He prayed that we would be one just as him and the father are one. But the enemy's on a mission too, right? The enemy is on a mission to bring division. And he wants to bring division among the body of Christ. See, the Lord's on a mission to bring unity. But he invites us to be a part of that mission. And to be a part of that mission, you know what it takes? It takes effort. It takes energy. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Makes it personal. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. He says, This is your responsibility endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He says, endeavoring, he means striving. He means putting forth effort. In other words, unity won't just happen. It won't just happen. We got to work to make it happen. David's working to unify the nation, but everybody isn't on the same page. There are those who are working to divide the nation. We see Sheba. He's the man that's leading this division. But there's good look, good news. Look at verse 2. It says, But the men of Judah, that second sentence, from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem remained loyal to their king. There will be those who rebel, but there will also be those who remain loyal. But guess what? Those who remain loyal are not the majority. It's the minority. See, Judah, uh, often combined with the tribe of Benjamin, uh, you got two tribes there. Then you got the ten northern tribes of Israel. That was made clear in Second uh, Samuel chapter 19 when they said, hey, we have ten shares uh, in the king because we have ten tribes. And uh, Judah and Benjamin, you're only two tribes. The point is those who are loyal to the king are truly the 
minority. Why? Most people in this world aren't loyal to the king for various reasons. Maybe they want to be their own king, whatever the case may be. But there's also a reality that it's easier to be loyal to the way of the world than it is to be the way uh, to be loyal to the way of the king. It's actually uh, easier to go with the flow of the world than it is to submit to the authority of the king. Jesus makes this very clear in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, he says in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus says, following me is hard. It's harder than going the other way. Uh, Many people take the broad path. Many people reject authority. Many people want to be their own kings. Many people rebel against the rightful king. But there are few who go down the narrow gate. There are few who are loyal to the king. Why? Because the pathway to loyalty is difficult. It's narrow. He says there are few who find it. But Jesus, see Jesus, he's diligently seeking for the loyal. He's diligently seeking for the faithful. We see here in 2 Chronicles, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. God had a hard time finding people who were loyal to him, both then and now. But he's searching diligently, uh, looking at the earth to and fro, Who will be loyal to me? Who will be faithful? Because he knows the loyal are few and far between. Are you one of the few? Are you one of the faithful? We see the men of Judah. They were one of the few. They were one of the faithful. These were those who were loyal to the king. It says here in verse 3, Now David came to his house at Jerusalem And the king took the ten women whose concubines whom he had left to keep the house and put them in seclusion and supported them, but did not go into them. So they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. So the concubines that he's referring to uh, are the concubines. Remember when he fled, when Absalom came uh, and he left ten concubines there to uh, take care of the household. And then what did Absalom do? He raped them um, on the top of the palace for all people to see because he was trying to make a point. Now I'm in charge. Now I'm the king. Now the king's concubines are my concubines. So David's got a tough decision to make. What does he do with these women? He decides, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to isolate them. I'm going to put them in seclusion. I'm not going to be with them anymore, but I'm still going to take care of them. See, Absalom's sin caused long-term trauma for many people. For, for many people. See, these women essentially had to, to live as widows in isolation, never to be married again, never to have affection from uh, their husband ever again. See, our sin just like Absalom's, can cause long-term trauma to others. It can have lasting negative impacts for years and years and years to come. Absalom's been gone for a while, but yet 
His sin still affecting people. Second Samuel chapter 20, verse 4. And the king said to Amasa, Assemble the men of Judah for me within three days and be present here yourself. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. So David knew he had to act quickly against Sheba. He knew the more time Sheba had, the more people he would recruit. The larger his army would be, uh, and the less chance David had to, to, to win a victory over Sheba's army. So he calls Amasa, who was uh, the commander of Absalom's army, now the commander of David's army. And he says, hey, you got three days, accumulate the army, and let's go after him. But it says that Amasa, he delayed He delayed longer, it says in verse 5, than the set time which David had appointed him. The king gave Amasa specific instruction with a specific time period to get that instruction taken care of. And Amasa didn't live up to the expectation. He delayed. When Jesus gives you direction, when he gives you instruction, do you delay? Or are you quick to obey? Amasa was not quick to obey. He delayed. See, when we're slow to obey, we're the ones that miss out. We're the ones that miss out. See, God gives us direction for our benefit. The king gives us direction for for our blessings. But when we choose to be slow to obey or we choose to disobey altogether, we're the ones that miss out. When we delay in being obedient to something God's asked us to do, we're saying, God, it's not that important. What you're telling me is not that important. You might think it's urgent, but I don't think it's urgent. He knows all things. He knows why he's telling you to do something and do it urgently. There's for a specific purpose. We don't know what's ahead, but he knows. So the king gives us direction for our benefit. And sometimes we can just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And all of a sudden he goes, all right, if you don't want to follow my direction, I'm going to find someone who will. And I'm going to use someone else for my purposes. And that's exactly what we're going to see happen in this text later on. Let's look at it. Second Samuel chapter 20, verse 6. And David said to Abishai, now Sheba, the son of Bitri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape us. So David, because uh, Amasa delayed, he went and got Abishai, who is uh, Joab's brother. And he said, hey, I need somebody to go after Sheba. If this guy's not willing to get the job done in my timeline, then I'm going to pick somebody else to get the job done. So he takes Abishai, he accumulates the men, the mighty men, and he sends them out to fulfill a mission. This is point number two. The king has sent us on a mission. The king has sent us on a mission. God has sent us on a mission to fight a battle. But he's not sending us on a mission uh, necessarily to fight a physical battle. He's sending us on a mission to fight what? A spiritual battle. In uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, uh, Paul says our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness uh, of this age. His point is we're in a spiritual battle. God's called us to engage in a spiritual battle. What's our role in that battle? Well, Paul tells us 
in his letter in 2 Timothy, he says this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Our role is to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. That's going to look like enduring hardship. There's going to be hardship along the mission. What's the mission? Ultimately, the mission, the spiritual mission, as I mentioned before, is the Great Commission. He's called us to preach the gospel and make disciples. That's what our whole lives are to be centered around. Whether you have a, 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 don't have a job or, or you have a secular job or you have a job in ministry or, or whatever the case may be, God gave us a specific mission. After he died and rose from the dead, he told the disciples at the end of Mark and at the end of, of Matthew, at the end of the gospels, he says, uh, go out to all nations, preach the gospel, make disciples. That mission wasn't just for the 12. The mission was for all those who follow Jesus. By answering this call. To fulfill the mission. The great commission. This is how we overcome the enemy. At least overcome the enemy. And his influence in this present world. Are you fulfilling the mission? Here's the reality. The mission. Is only good. During this lifetime. During this period of time, the time that we live in now, once we're gone, guess what? That mission is over. We only have a short period of time to do our part in fulfilling this mission, harvesting souls, winning people over for Jesus Christ. This is the mission that the king gives us. The text continues, 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 7. So Joab's men with the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the mighty men went out after him and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bitri. So we see these men, these men are loyal. These men are what? Quick to obey, right? Where Amasa was, uh, he's delayed. He's not really loyal to the king. He, he was the one leading Absalom's army against the king. He doesn't care about David. He cares about position. He cares about power. He's in it for what he can get out of King David. But these men, they obey right away. Why? Because their heart is for the king. They love the king. See, when we love the king, when our heart is for the king, we're going to be quick to obey. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfectly obedient all the time, but there's a reality. If we have the same mind that he has, 1 Corinthians says that we've been given the mind of Christ. We're to have the mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. That we're going to understand his heart and respond to the direction that he gives us quickly. This is what these men do. They have a heart for their king. Look at what it says, verse 8. Which they were at the large stone, when they were, sorry, at the large stone which is in Gibeon, Amasa came before them. Now Joab was dressed in battle armor. On it was a belt with a sword fastened in its sheath and his hips at his hips, and as he was going forward, it fell out. Then Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him, but Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand. And he struck him with it, 
in the stomach and his entrails poured out on the ground and he did not strike him again. Thus he died. And Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bitri. So Amasa, he comes to be a part of the battle. He's late to the party, but he still wants to be a part of it. He's like, I want to be a part of the victory. He shows up late. Okay. Then Joab, he confronts Amasa, ultimately kills him. We'll talk about that in a second. But we see Joab was doing things his way. Yes, he was attempting to fulfill the mission that the king gave him, but he was attempting to fulfill it in his own way. This is point number three. Fulfill the king's mission, the king's way. Fulfill the king's mission, the king's way. Joab used deception. He didn't do things the way that David instructed. Amasa was to be the commander. Amasa was technically Joab's authority at that point. And Joab rebelled against him. He used deception. He was sneaky. See, the right hand was the hand that you traditionally used for battle, and that was known, okay? So he took his right hand and he grabbed his beard, okay? This was uh, um, uh, a common form of, of affection between friends. They'd grab each other's beards. Like, imagine if we did that today, right? Like, hold my beard, right? Like, it'd be weird, right? It'd be kind of weird. Like, hold, just, hold, just, just hold it for a second. Just touch it, right? So weird. Uh, but this is what they would do. So he grabbed his beard. It was a sign of affection, uh, and, and, it, and it also shows, a, uh, like, hey... You, I'm not a threat. I'm using my right hand as if I can't use my left, right? And then he pulls out the sword and he stabs him. Likely, he probably twisted this thing. His old, All his guts just come out pretty gruesome. This is what the text tells us. His entrails uh, just poured out. He didn't have to strike him again. But we see Joab has a pattern in the way in which he lives. Joab had this way about him. He, he took matters into his own hands. Now, Amasa was a traitor, as we discussed, uh, eh, but he happened to be the commander of the army during this time period. Joab likely uh, saw Amasa as a, as a great threat, uh, as great of a threat as Sheba was. So he probably thinks, hey, I need to take this dude out. He rebelled against David once. Uh, what's to say he's not going to do it again as soon as he gets the chance? This guy's out for power and prominence. He doesn't care about King David. So he likely figured, I got to take this guy out as well. Joab did what David couldn't do once again. But Joab is a murderer once again. Joab is a cold-blooded murderer. He is. Let's not get it twisted. He has the reasons for why he kills specific people. Uh, but he murdered Abner. He murdered Absalom. Uh, now he murdered Sheba. Who else? Uh, we don't know. But he was absolutely a murderer. He did things his own way. It's interesting. In one way, Joab was loyal to King David. But in another way, he was unsubmissive. He was loyal in the sense that uh, I believe Joab did the majority of these things because he thought he was doing the right thing in his own mind. Like, he really looked out for King David. We see that. Um, and, and he did the things that David couldn't do or David chose not to do for David's own reasons. But Joab also shows this way of rebellion. See, there are those in the church that have a heart for the king, like there's this part that's loyal, but they're always doing things their own way. Joab has like this loyalty, this heart for the king, but he's always doing things their own way, his own way. Jesus mentions this 
In Matthew chapter 7, this is like one of those uh, terrifying verses in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 7, he says this. In 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, not everyone who calls me king is getting to heaven, but those who do my will. See, we're called to do God's will, God's way, not take God's will and, and, and make it our own way. We're called to do God's will, God's way. Joab, yeah, he's fulfilling the mission in a sense, but he's doing it his own way and he's dishonoring the king. Second Samuel chapter 20, verse 11. Meanwhile... One of Joab's men stood near Amasa and said, whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. So this cold-blooded murder, I assume, I'm not sure, but it probably threw some people off like, wow, wasn't expecting that, right? This guy is, this is just guts are hanging out and now uh, he's dead. But these men, they understood why Joab was doing this. They, they all knew that Amasa uh, was a traitor and he already rebelled against David once. So this servant, he stands up and he knows Joab did this for David. So he says, hey, if you're for David, then you need to go with Joab because Joab's for David. David, and that's why Joab did this. So we see the men respond. Look at verse 12. But Amasa wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway. And when the man saw that all the people stood still, he moved Amasa from the highway to the field and threw a garment over him. When he saw that everyone who came upon him halted, when he was removed from the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bitri. Okay, so Amasa, we see he was an obstacle in more ways than one. And Joab uh, assumed that he needed to get rid of that obstacle. Uh, we see uh, Amasa was an obstacle in the sense that he was already a traitor, right? Amasa uh, was an obstacle in the sense that, that he was delaying David from accomplishing his mission and now uh, his dead body is an obstacle so the men have to move the body out of the way they're like oh his body's in the road do we touch it what do we do with it so they move it out of the way so now the men move forward so that they can fulfill the mission that david originally gave them for verse 14 and when he went through all the tribes of israel to uh, abel and beth Makkah and all the barites so they were gathered together and also went after sheba so Joab was able to recruit a bunch of men. There were still men who were faithful to David in the land. There were still men who were for David. Uh, maybe some of these men were genuinely loyal to David from the get-go. And maybe some of them just saw Joab in the army and they knew Joab. And they're like, eh, better better go with Joab. We know what he's capable of. Uh, he, we know what he does to people who rebel against the king. I don't know if he instilled fear in them or whatnot. But he's accumulated uh, a great gathering, a great army. The text continues in verse 15. Then they came and besieged him in Abel and Beth Macha, and they cast up a siege mount against the city, and it stood by the rampart. And all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. So nothing is going to stop these men from accomplishing the mission that God, sorry, that David actually gave them to overthrow Sheba, to kill Sheba, actually. They wouldn't let obstacles get in the way. This is point number four. Overcome obstacles to fulfill the mission. 
overcome obstacles to fulfill the mission. They were willing to break down this wall. See, sometimes when Jesus asks us to do things, uh, they aren't always easy things to do. Uh, in fact, sometimes Jesus asks us to do things and there are obstacles in the way. And sometimes when Jesus asks us to do things and there are obstacles in the way, it gets confusing. And we go, did God really ask me to do this? Why is he making it so hard? <laughs> if he asked me to do this thing, then why is it so difficult if he asked me to do it? Like, isn't it supposed to be easy? Not always. Sometimes there's obstacles to help you know God wasn't in it, but other times there are obstacles in your path because God wants to see how badly you want it. So he puts the obstacles in the way and he says, how badly do you want my will? How badly do you want to fulfill my mission? There's a reality. As we follow the Lord and purpose to fulfill his will in our lives, fulfill his mission, there are going to be obstacles. Jesus said in John chapter 16, uh, verse 33, uh, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's inevitable. There are going to be obstacles. There are going to be trials. Don't think for a minute, just because you're following me, everything is going to be fine and dandy. Everything's going to be easy. As we already discussed, he said, narrow is the way and difficult is the path. There are going to be obstacles. How determined are you to do what God has asked you to do? Are you willing to break through walls to accomplish his will? Because that's what these men are doing. They're willing to break through walls. They're, they have it in their mind. Uh, we're not going to let this giant wall get in between us and what God's called us to do. We're not letting anything uh, get in between us and what God has called us to do. We're, we're determined to do everything our king has asked us to do. I guarantee you, when Jesus asks you to do things, certain times there are going to be obstacles. It's going to be hard. It's going to be discouraging. You're going to want to quit. There's going to be times where the obstacles are so overwhelming that you just want to throw in the towel. But there's also a reality that he rewards those who overcome obstacles for his namesake. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder of those who, who have the faith that overcomes obstacles. He says in Revelation chapter 3 verse 21. In Revelation 3.21. I'll read it for you. He says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. He's a rewarder of those who overcome obstacles. Obstacles are going to be there. Are we determined to overcome the obstacles knowing that there's a reward waiting on the other side of the wall? The text continues, 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 16. When a wise man cried out from the city, Hear, hear, please say to Joab. When a wise woman, sorry. She said, please say to Joab, uh, come nearby that I may speak with you. So this wise woman's like, hey, I don't want you to take down our whole city. Uh, so she goes to speak to Joab. Here's the conversation in verse 17. Uh, when he had come near to her, the woman said, are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I'm listening. So she spoke saying, they used to talk in former times saying they shall, uh, they shall sh surely seek guidance at Abel and so they would end disputes. 
I am among the peaceful and the faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? She said, this is a place of peace. This is a place where people settle disputes, uh, not where uh, uh, where destruction happens. And she says, I'm, I'm among the peaceful. I'm among the faithful in Israel, uh, claiming that she's loyal to David. She doesn't want division. So she continues this conversation with Joab. Verse 20, and Joab answered and said, far be it. Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not so. Uh, but a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bitri, by name has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. So the woman said to Joab, watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Joab is a brutal man. But but he has his reasons for why he kills people, right? He's not just trying to wipe out the city of Abel. He He's out on a mission to kill one man. He doesn't just kill people to kill people, at least as we see in the text. Seems that he always has a reason uh, for why he murders people in cold blood. Uh, but the text continues here in verse 22. He says, Then the woman in her wisdom went to all the people, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bitri, and threw it out to Joab. Then he blew a trumpet, and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. So the woman, she cut off the head of Sheba. She realized it was better to deliver this man's head than have her whole city destroyed. Sheba He likely thought that he was safe inside the walls of Abel, but no one's safe when they rebel against God's king. It doesn't matter where you are, God can find you, right? He thought he was safe over there, but he wasn't just rebelling against a man. He was rebelling against God himself, and God wasn't going to have it. He was going to take care of it. I don't know what goes through these people's minds, right? Everyone who's rebelled against King David has been killed. Everyone, and they think for some reason it's not going to happen to me. That's the sinful nature. That's the carnal nature, right? It won't happen to me. It's never going to happen to me. It'll happen to everybody else, but I'll never suffer for my sin. I'll never suffer for my rebellion, So Sheba is slain. He's beheaded. But the division between Israel and Judah, it's not settled. Uh, We'll see that this division between Judah and Israel will continue to grow and grow and grow and and really take off uh, right at the death of Solomon and uh, first Kings chapter 12, when Rehoboam, his son, becomes king. And then uh, Israel and Judah, the, the northern tribes and the southern tribes, are, are divided permanently from that time forward. Uh, what's the point? Sometimes cutting off the head of the snake isn't enough. Sometimes you really need to get to the heart of the issue. See, the heart of the issue here with the people, it's not their relationship with David that's the problem. It's their relationship with God. That's been the problem all along. That's why they wanted King Saul. That's why they rebelled against King David. No man is ever good enough. They're looking for a king to satisfy something in their hearts when what they really need is the king of kings to satisfy the longing of their hearts. So they're going to continue to rebel. They're going to continue to divide. They're going to continue to destroy because their relationship with the Lord is broken. So the text says here in verse 22, 
Last sentence. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. He returned to the king with the mission complete. This is point number five. Complete the mission. Complete the mission. The mission isn't over until it's completed. See, our life is both a series of short-term missions. Think about it that way. And it's one big long-term mission. We're called to fulfill both the little short-term missions and also the big long-term mission. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Almost there. Verse 10, he says, And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there, uh, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. Paul says, complete what you started. Uh, the mission that you started, maybe God gave you a mission a while ago, uh, and, and, and it's still lingering. It, it still uh, hasn't been fulfilled. Maybe God asked you to do something, and for whatever reason, you just stopped. Maybe there were too many obstacles. There were too many walls. There was too much discouragement that you just threw in the towel, and you said, I, I can't do this anymore. Uh, maybe you just lost passion. Uh, maybe you just gave in to apathy, and though you know that thing was from the Lord, that mission was from God, you said, ah, I just don't have the heart to do it anymore. Paul says, hey, 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 remember what God told you to do back then? That thing that you didn't complete? That thing that's still lingering in your heart? Complete that thing. Do it. Have that desire. Pray for that passion. Follow through. Complete the mission. See, we're not done until we're dead. We got plenty of missions to fulfill in this life. We got the, 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 the little missions that happen season by season. And we got the big mission. If you struggle with purpose in your life, if you're confused uh, about what God has called you to, if anything, if you're wondering, man, I just feel like uh, I'm wasting my life. I'm not really doing anything with it. I can assure you that God has a purpose for you, that God has a plan for you, that God has a mission for you that he wants you to engage in ASAP. Why? Because God promises that. He says, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I have a mission for you. We all have a purpose. We all have a plan. We all have a mission. But it's our responsibility to find it and fulfill it. And not just start it and stop it, but, but, but to complete it. Joab completed the mission. It says here in verse 23, And Joab was over all the army of Israel. Interesting, right? Uh, <laughs> he killed Amasa, and now he's back in charge. Now, um, just a little empathy for David, right? David probably had a tough decision to make here. Okay, what do I do? Uh, if I just put another guy in there, Joab's probably going to kill him. Uh, there's a reality that, that Joab also did like... he. He, he did a good job as a commander, though he had uh, some, some corrupt morals, right? He got the job done. So David's probably thinking, all right, man, he gets the job done. Okay, he's the best that I got. I'll just continue uh, to use him. We will see Joab uh, pay for all of these things in uh, First Kings. He will be killed. Um, that's another topic, though. 
so it says, uh, Joab was over all the army. Uh, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the uh, Cherithites and the Pelethites. Adoram was in charge of revenue. Jehoshaphat was the son of Ahilud, uh, was recorder. Sheba was scribe. Zaduk and Abiathar were the priest, and Ira, uh, the Jerite, was a chief minister unto David. So, so David was a great king, but he wasn't a great king alone. He, he needed help, and we see in these few verses here all these different men that were a part of his kingdom, that were a part of advancing his kingdom and, and unifying his kingdom and adding stability to his kingdom. See, though Jesus is a perfect king, unlike King David, And though Jesus doesn't need any one of us, he'll fulfill his plan regardless, he still chooses to use us. And he uses people to build his kingdom. He uses the church. And he invites us in to be a part of the mission to advance his kingdom. Jesus could fulfill the mission on his own. But that's not the way that he works. He uses man to fulfill his mission. His followers, the followers of Jesus Christ... They're not plan B or C or D. They're plan A. That was plan A. That was his, that was the plan Jesus came up with. I'm going to use uh, messed up people to advance my kingdom. That's plan A. The Great Commission is plan A. There's no plan B. He says, I'm giving it to you. And I'll work through you. I'll move through you. I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. All those different things. But, but I'm going to fulfill my plan through you, through my people, through my followers. Jesus wants us to be a part of that fulfillment of his mission. And he invites us to be a part. But we got to respond to the invitation. Uh, Are you willing to be used? Are you willing to fulfill the king's mission? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, God, we thank you that you're such a good king, Lord. And you invite us to be a part, um, uh, a part of your plans on earth. God, you invite us to to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves, something so much, uh, so significant, so impactful, uh, Lord. And you just look for willing, loyal people, God, not not people that um, that have everything going for them or uh, bring so much to the table, uh, God, but simple, uh, simple, loyal, simple, willing people, uh, Lord. And I pray that we would be those people, that we would be willing. God, that we would be faithful, Lord, that we would respond to this invitation to be a part of your mission, Uh, God, and we would do our best to fulfill our part, Uh, Lord, so give us the power of your spirit to walk in that, in Jesus' name, amen.